0: Those women, they stepped in, I call them my fairy blonde mothers, and I tell everyone, get some more F-words in your vocabulary, friends, family, faith, food.
1: Has your life, your dreams been interrupted? Good news. It is possible to reinvent our lives. People are doing it every day. And some are brave enough to share the struggles, disappointments, and challenges. If you are looking for a new beginning, a do-over, or to rediscover your passion, maybe even find a new one, then grab a cup of coffee and let's talk. Interrupted, Act 2, Reinventing Your Legacy with your host, Coach Lori. You are hearing stories from people whose lives have been interrupted, and yet they're using their stories to help others. Have you ever thought of using your story To help others by writing a book or creating a podcast? Well, then you're in the right place. Go to www.coachlaurie.com for all the details. Writer, speaker, teacher, and farm girl, Theo Boyd is the author of My Grief Is Not Like Yours, Learning to Live After Unimaginable Loss, A Daughter's Journey. Welcome, Theo To be here. So, you have quite a story. I thought we could just start with you telling us your story and what brought you to write this book. I want to frame it as September is National Suicide Prevention Month. And so, with that in mind, do you want to just jump right in and tell us your story?
0: I absolutely will. June of 2019, I believe the first line in my book says, I had it all. And then July 29th, 2019, I got a call that there had been an accident on our farm. Our family. Farm And I lived about an hour away and they wouldn't really tell me anything until I got there. And then I found out that my mom had been killed instantly. And we had just been texting about 30 minutes before I got the phone call. She was um, run over by one of the farm tractors. Then they kind of waited a little while, and then they told me that my dad was driving it. My parents were married almost 50 years. We'd been planning their 50th wedding anniversary. Instead, that week, we ended up planning a funeral. I was a school teacher in Waxahachie, Texas. I taught 10th grade English and creative writing, and I had to take some time off, some family leave for a couple of months and get my dad settled and see if, take care of him. The reason that I even started writing this book is that while I was staying with my dad, I was journaling, being a creative writing teacher and having learned from my dad, who was a preacher as well as a farmer, having learned how to write, I'd been writing all my life. My mom's accident was the first domino to fall, so to speak. My counselor, who I'd had as a dear friend for about 18 years, and she started counseling me and my dad in complicated grief Counseling, which I'll talk about in a little bit, she all of a sudden died. So I was just like, oh my goodness. So I had to break that to my dad. He'd finally found somebody to confide in and that understood him in this trauma. And then she died suddenly. Started journaling about that and writing. Then a few weeks after that, I learned that my husband had been having an affair. And so my marriage is starting to fall apart. And I'd had some hints of that early on. You know, everybody grieves in their own way. But a few weeks after my mom's funeral, I found out that while I was trying to take care of my dad, other things are going on back at my home. So that started to kind of leave me another loss. And then last year, I went to check on my dad on Father's Day morning to surprise him with breakfast, as I would often do. And I found that he had taken his life and he had committed suicide with a firearm. Looking back on all these different losses, I I do ask myself, Theo, why are you still standing? (laughs) Go back to bed. You know, I tell groups all the time, you can do one of two things when things happen to you. You can sink into it. And get in the bed and not come out. And that's okay. That's okay to do for a while. Or you can eventually take what has happened and turn that into something to help other people that are going through it. And from the moment my mom passed, the title of this book, those words, My Grief Is Not Like Yours, were just ringing in my head over and over. The title of this book, it's not written so that you just read about my grief. I did not write the book for that. My intention when I wrote the book and titled it, My Grief is Not Like Yours, is so that once someone got this book, they could own that title for themselves. And the questions in each chapter that are asked just allow the reader to put their heart and their grief on the page so that it becomes their book. Through all these things, I'm still here I'm writing for my own healing. And then I found out that that was helping and healing others.
1: Wow, boy, so many questions in just a little bit that you've shared. First of all, I'm so glad you're still here. And I am so sorry. I just feel like I want to hug you. I can't imagine. And like you said, it's dominoes, one thing after another. So you talked about your counselor, because I think often people get counselors and they say it doesn't work. And it might be because the counselor doesn't really understand trauma. So do you want to talk about complicated trauma?
0: Yes, it is very important. It is critical, crucial that you find someone that is trained in trauma counseling, complicated grief counseling, um, traumatic loss, you know, you've got to have somebody. And thankfully, my counselor was very well versed in that. And she was amazing. So how I explain it in the book, the difference between grief and complicated grief, grief happens to about 70% of Americans, about 70, to, I'd say 70 to 80% of Americans are in some form of grief. They've either experienced a loss of a loved one through death, or maybe it is a divorce or, or a pet. A lot of times people just, we grieve our pets, no matter what the loss is. 70 to 80% of the public is going through that, but only about seven to 9% Of that percentage of grievers will experience complicated grief. And that is in the way that it happened, in the way that the loss happened, traumatic, sudden, and and, or in the way that we react to it. It could have been an anticipated death, but still the person is not getting over it. They're not able to get past it. And an example that I give in the book is regular grief, you take off work, you go to the funeral, you're a little bit sad and you think about the person, but you go back to work or you stop at a Mexican food restaurant and have a margarita and go on home and go back to work the next day. Complicated grief. You can barely get through the funeral. You don't even remember where you work. Your life completely shuts down. And I was in a state of complicated grief and didn't even realize it. And when I went to my counselor and we were just talking and I go very detailed in chapter three about this, people will love the title of that chapter. And I was crying and she looked at me and she said, well, you're in complicated grief. And when she gave it a name, then I felt valid and I was like, okay, I'm not losing my mind. This is actually something. This is actually something that other people are experiencing. And then I started to research complicated grief for the book and research it for myself and reached out to some people at the Columbia University and Dr. Catherine Shear. There's a lot of information online where she... Complicated grief disorder is now called prolonged grief disorder. So it was CGD and now it's PGD, prolonged grief disorder. I almost feel like prolonged grief disorder explains it a little bit better but that's the difference in how I explain it.
1: I can't imagine a getting the phone call that your mother has passed and then finding out your father was driving. How did you deal with that?
0: The last I had text with my mom that day, she had her hair in rollers. She'd taken a shower. We had a doctor's visit the next day for my dad, and we'd made plans that I was going to meet them. I thought they were going to bed. It was late in the afternoon. Then when I didn't get a text back, I was like, what is going on? I go moment by moment in the book. It is a memoir. So I, I walk the reader exactly through what happened. And I just couldn't understand that I wasn't getting a text back. My mother was deaf. She lost her hearing at 18 months of age. She was profoundly deaf. She did not learn to speak or communicate with others until she was 10 years of age. What a phenomenal human and creature she was. What an amazing person. And she was my host, probably one of the most phenomenal people you would have ever met. I always got texts from mama about daddy because daddy would not use the cell phone. He was Mr. Anti-technology, old school farmer. Everything's in a notebook, no computers. You know, he was so funny. I I describe him in the book as the anti-technology voice. (laughs) And my mom had just gotten an iPhone. She was sending little giffies and emojis. She was getting so good at everything. And for her not to text me back was very unusual. We had stopped farming peanuts many years ago. We were just running cattle and he had actually just sold a lot of his cattle because his health was starting to decline. He had white matter disease, but He still was able to get around, but my mom never let him do anything on the farm. She was his farmhand. For him to go out and get on the tractor and for her to go with him was just commonplace. They'd been doing it for 50 years. So, I do feel that complacency played a role. And that's why we've been reaching out to a lot of farm magazines. Not only are tractor accidents the number one fatality with farmers, also suicide death. Really? And my dad's role in that accident never left him. I told everyone at the funeral, we did not just lose mama on that day we lost daddy too. all these people in the community that have known my parents his entire life their entire lives and being a preacher that's just what happens you know everybody daddy always said everybody knows me everywhere I go they all knew my parents love for each other and they all knew you never see one without the other and mama was right there she wasn't gonna let him get up on that tractor without without her
1: did he have to go in and call for help
0: Yes. It was about 6 p.m. when this happened, about an hour or two before sundown. We built them a new farmhouse in 2013. And all of this happened where all the farm is across the road at the old farmhouse. He got on the four-wheeler and drove back to the new house and He said he he just didn't know what to do. So many emergency workers got there. He did tell them that he after he called 911, he was going to get a gun and go back and take his life and lay with my mom. He could not bear what he had done. He just wanted to do that, but he held off and did not do that because of me and my sister and my daughter and her two boys. And he didn't want us to always wonder what happened to their mom and dad. And he stayed with us for three years. There in the initial few months. I thought, well, it's all good. We got the guns out of the house. I was living with him. He promised me he wouldn't do anything like that. Over the three years, his mobility started to decline. COVID happened. He couldn't get out. He's an extrovert. My dad loved to be around people. He was almost bedridden these last few months of his life. He just couldn't deal with the pain anymore. And I tell people all the time, you will hear someone say, God won't give you more than you can handle. That is incorrect. That is not in the Bible anywhere. And I'm a preacher's daughter. I can go head to head with you on that one. God will give you more than you can handle, but it is still part of his plan.
1: We have suicide in our family. And I remember hearing a statistic once. uh, I always thought since we had it in our family, it would never happen again, right? Because we all know how horrible it is. But they actually said, if it's in your family, it's easier for others to do it. Can you talk about that
0: a little bit? I can. And I never thought I could. After my mom's gone, my counselor who is second in command, my female role models, my husband leaves me for another woman. My dad's gone. I was in a very low place. I was in complicated grief, but with, but I felt helpless except for a handful of amazing women that stepped in some former teachers And they all got on a rotation to come and stay with me. I'm a people person. So getting a friend wasn't hard for me. I can make a friend with a fence post. But for those of you out there that are not so hip on getting a friend, if there's one person that you have that you can lean on, I would say lean on them and let them hold you up. They want to help. And those women, they stepped in. I call them my fairy blonde mothers. They're in my book. Chapter 11 is about more F words. And I tell everyone, get some more F words in your vocabulary, friends, family, faith, food, talk about the discovery diet. The D diets, I believe is chapter 10, death, divorce, and discovery, but I started writing down everything that was happening to me because I'm not a nurse. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I am a former school teacher and a farm girl, and I was baptized by fire on the subject of suicide and the subject of all this grief. I could easily see how if a family member has done that, how it's easier. You feel valid and you almost feel like, well, they did it now it's okay daddy used to always say don't don't do as i do do as i say being the daughter of a preacher we were always watching his example so why would that be any different now other than i'm 51 years old and i know i'm mentally healthy i see a counselor regularly i have been doing this writing to give myself healing but i can see where if you're not getting counseling you see where you're almost given an okay by that family member, like I did it, you can do it too.
1: I love that you said that phrase about God won't give you more than you can handle. People say things that are so untrue and wrong and that actually make it worse. How did you deal with all of that? You came from a strong faith and then you watched your father be a bad example. How did your role and your faith bring you to the other side?
0: I lost my faith for a time for the last three years of hearing daddy just cut. God. And I talk about the cuss word, never having heard my dad cuss ever. And then the night of my mom's accident, it started and it never stopped. And I text my counselor that night. And I said, my dad's saying horrible things. He's accidentally run over mama with the tractor. And she said, let him say the words that he needs to say. Those are the words that carry the weight of his pain. And I think that's so powerful We often just shy away from saying what really carries the weight of how we feel because it's unacceptable or, oh, don't say that. But go outside and say the words that you need to say. I did lose my faith for some time. Everything that kept happening in my life was proving to me that God was still there. And that's what my second book is about that I've been working on is Finding Your Hope in the Signs you can give up on God. That's fine, but he's going to find you. And I could not believe that the things that were happening in my life that were keeping me going. And I thought that's God. He has given me something to do. And I always tell people there's two most important days of your life. There's the day that you're born and the day that you realize why you were born. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was born to write this book, this book. Sure. I'm going to write others in my life, but this is the one. My grief is not like yours after mama died. I'm going to tell you exactly why this is the book after she passed July 29th, 2019, was swarms of friends and family were coming to the house and the farm. My daddy was very well known. My parents very well known in the community. I was hearing a lot of what people say and they don't know what to say, bless their hearts. But you know, my mom died and it took me two to three years. And well, when my mom died this, let me tell you something. If your mom was not run over by your dad on a tractor, I can't talk to you. I cannot relate. And what happens for the griever, when we're told comparisons and we're offered comparisons from people, we are further pushed down in being unheard. And it just leaves us without a voice. And we feel like the loss didn't matter. And I felt like, I just wanted to scream, my grief is not like yours. I'm not discounting their grief. Every grief is valid and every grief hurts. But mine was different. I could not compare my mom being run over and killed instantly by my father with someone that had been in a hospital for six months, ill and passed away. I couldn't compare it. So that's why I wrote the book because we are all born. We live. We die, we grieve, but my grief is not like yours.
1: I'm hearing you address both sides of the coin, so you talk about the person who's grieving, and you you're giving them some great advice, which I would like to say more about that. But then you're talking to the person who is trying to console the person who's grieving. That just feels like a danger zone. I feel that's where people really cause more harm.
0: I go into detail in the book about this, but be very specific with your help offers. Don't say, what can I do for you? Because that just leaves it way too open and we're going to shut you out. And I say, we, I'm still a griever. I'm still grieving. But if you say, can I mow your lawn? Then I'll be like, Oh yeah, that'd be great. Or can I bring you Mexican food tonight? Can I come have a cup of coffee with you in the morning? And most importantly, can I just come sit with you? Can I come sit with you? If you want to go take a nap, take a nap. If you want to just sit, no words have to be spoken to be present. My mother was deaf, yet she was the best listener you will ever have met. It is so powerful to me because years ago, I took mama to a women's conference and we were in a room of about 2,500 women. And we were about two thirds of the way back. And I looked around and I saw no sign language, although my mom didn't use sign language, she could read it. I saw no teleprompters and I felt so bad because I thought she's not going to be able to hear what they're saying. So I looked over at my mom and I said, so that she could read my lips. I said, I'm so sorry that you cannot hear. And she looked at me and said, it's okay. I'm just happy to be in the room. And that has never left me. She was happy to be in the room. And how many of us are in a room, but we're not present? And I want to urge people to be present. You don't have to talk. You don't have to listen, but just be.
1: And then what would you say to the person who is really struggling and maybe they're having
0: those suicidal thoughts and they're in deep grief? Please, Please, I know you don't want to. Believe me, it's the hardest thing. It's harder than deciding to go work out, (laughs) but get out or get on a phone and call somebody that is trained in grief counseling. You will not be sorry. You may have to go through several people. You can do it virtually now, you don't have to leave your house. Get on a Zoom with someone that is professionally trained in this type of grief because your friends and family are not, and they're probably not going to be your best resource. And I'm telling you from experience, but if you talk to someone who is trained, you may talk to them for an hour and you may only get one good pearl of wisdom, but that's all you need to get you to the next day and the next. So please talk to somebody professionally that can help you go through the exercises. I put some of them in the book and reach out, please reach out because believe me that God has a plan for your life. There's a reason that you are still here and do not let those people down that you were sent to help.
1: Before we go, I wanted to touch on is in the beginning, when you shared about Writing your story, that that was very helpful in your healing process. What would you say to someone who maybe hasn't shared their story of what they're suffering with in in their grief?
0: For me, writing is very healing. I needed a book that hit me as hard as I'd been hit, and I couldn't get my hands on it. There's a lot of great books out there, but for traumatic loss, not as many. So I thought, I'm just going to write it. For you, it may be, you know, I've got an exercise in the book called 100 Things. It's 100 things about my mom. I just started writing them down because I felt unheard. I felt like she was being forgotten. I just was like, my mom had dark hair. My mom loved to bake. My mom loved my dad. And I just started journaling 100 things. It doesn't have to be 100. You can do 10. You can do it on a notebook paper. You can do it on a napkin. You can do it in your phone and just start writing down the things you remember about them. And there's no rules on this little exercise. You can repeat yourself. I think I have in the book, mama Love daddy three different times. Do exercises like that because you would be surprised once you put it on the page, how it takes it off and out of you.
1: We're talking with Theo Boyd. She's the author of My Grief Is Not Like Yours, Learning to Live After an Unimaginable Loss, A Daughter's Journey. Before we go, what is it that you really want people to know?
0: I want people to know that they can own their grief. They can own it and feel it. And it doesn't matter what that looks like. There's no blueprint on grief. So they can own their grief, feel validated in that grief, no matter what it looks like, and just surround themselves with those more F words, some friends and family, faith and food. I love it. And we can get your book at Amazon. Absolutely. It's everywhere that books are sold, and I did record the Audible. Do you have a webpage? Thinktheo.com. It's T-H-I-N-K-T-H-E-O.com.
1: Well, thank you so much, Theo. Thank
0: you so much for having me.
1: Do you have brain fog? Are you exhausted all the time? Do you struggle with depression? How about cravings? Imagine an enzyme that turns sugar into fiber for a link to order your bottle email me at lacoach at comcast.net that's l-a-c-o-a-c-h at comcast.net three things we learned from theo get some more f words in your vocabulary like friends food and faith when people are grieving sometimes we just need to listen and not try to compare our grief with theirs and thirdly you can go through a lot of really tough things and make it to the other side. There is hope. If you love this podcast, here's a big ask. Will you share with your friends and family? Subscribe, give us a review and a five-star rating so that others looking to reinvent their lives will be able to get the help they're looking for. Thank you in advance.